0: Today is all about overtime. I'm your host, Ryan McCoslin, and it's my job to help you understand and demystify human resources stuff facing small and medium-sized employers. And I know about this stuff because I happen to be an HR party of one. My employer, Bernie Portal, is bringing you this show based on our experience serving thousands of employers and their HR parties of one or sometimes two or three, through our all-in-one HRIS, Bernie Portal. I've had a first-row seat observing HR Parties of One in action, and I've studied this deeply to tease out what works. Welcome to HR Party of One. You probably already heard that the Department of Labor released a final rule last year that increased the overtime wage threshold, and many organizations are going to face some changes related to that new rule. Sometimes when new hires join our team at Bernie Portal, They've spent their entire career managing email and Outlook. We use Gmail. On their first day, we go over our approach to managing email, which doesn't include folders. And you can see confusion, frustration, and sometimes even terror in their eyes. Change is hard. Compensation is perhaps the most sensitive of all HR subjects. And when the Department of Labor creates new rules, some HR parties of one might even spend some time in a period of mourning. You might not be excited to make these changes. It might feel uncomfortable. But growth and comfort don't coexist, and with the right approach, these changes can actually benefit your organization in the long run. For the record, most of our new hires end up preferring Gmail after a few weeks or months of adjustment. This new rule, which is now in effect as of January 1st, means that employees making up to $35,568 per year are now eligible for overtime. On a weekly basis, employees making up to $684 are eligible for overtime. This shouldn't come as a huge surprise, Raising the overtime threshold has been in the works for a while. In fact, the current limit of 23,660 hasn't increased since 2004. Even so, an increase of some kind was pretty much inevitable. And this new limit of 35,000 is sort of a middle ground between the Bush administration's 23,000 and Obama's proposed 47,000. The immediate takeaway for HR teams and business owners is that you're going to have to start paying these newly eligible employees overtime if they clock more than 40 hours per week. But beyond that, The new rule gives your organization an opportunity to review your employee classifications more broadly. It's possible that the way you're classifying employees today isn't actually the best practice for your team or the health of your business. We'll get into what I mean by that and how you might think about required changes in a little bit. But quickly, let's look at the historical background of overtime pay. How do we end up paying time and a half for hours over 40? Where did that 40 hour number come from anyway? The 40 hour work week wasn't standard until the early to mid 20th century. Prior to that, many workers, especially laborers, worked 12 to 16-hour days. In 1869, President Ulysses S. Grant created the eight-hour workday for federal workers, but it took much longer for that standard to reach the private sector. Throughout the early 20th century, other industries came to adopt a standardized working week, including railroad workers, manufacturers, and printing companies. Following the Depression, in 1938, Congress passed the Fair Labor Standards Act, which created the first minimum wage of $0.25 cents per hour, and a 44-hour work week, which was revised two years later to the 40-hour week we know today. The Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938 guaranteed time-and-a-half pay for all hours over 40. And there were two goals behind this. First, it was intended to discourage employers from overworking employees by requiring them to pay those overtime wages. And second, the idea was that they'd boost employment, They wanted to create more and better jobs for Americans coming out of the Depression. The Fair Labor Standards Act was primarily focused on blue-collar jobs and included a lot of exemptions. For example, salaried employees who do non-manual labor, meaning management and administrative duties, are not eligible for overtime. In 2004, the Department of Labor introduced something called the Fair Pay Initiative, which added working managers and supervisors to the list of exempt workers or workers not eligible for overtime, by classifying them as executives. This was the most recent change until this year's threshold increase, and it caused a little bit of disruption, as it meant thousands of workers were suddenly not eligible for time and a half pay. It also brings us to two important terms when it comes to overtime, exempt and non-exempt. In full disclosure, I still have to think about this every time I write an email which is embarrassing because it's not that complicated. Exempt employees are exempt from overtime regulations. Employees who are non-exempt are eligible for overtime payments. To remember this, I like to think of Warren Buffett wearing a Malcolm X hat. You know, the one with the X on it. Warren Buffett clearly makes a lot of money, so he's exempt. It works for me. So back to the new overtime threshold. Now, any employee making less than $35,000 is automatically non-exempt or eligible for overtime pay. But the new threshold is an excellent opportunity to review how you classify employees in general. It may be that some of your employees who were above that salary threshold should also be classified as non-exempt and eligible for overtime. Many small employers classify almost all employees as exempt. And this is generally because it's administratively easier not because it's necessarily right or the best way to structure your organization. In fact, many business owners might be surprised to learn that most roles, including sales or customer service, should be classified as non-exempt hourly positions, regardless of how high the compensation level is for the role. In other words, even an inside sales role with target compensation of $85,000 is generally supposed to be classified as non-exempt. It should be an hourly position eligible for overtime, We went through this at our organization. Back in 2016, when the overtime threshold was set to increase to $47,000 in December, our organization made some substantial changes. Now, we weren't excited about this by any means. We were as frustrated as anyone. And, you know, I mean, we kind of resented having to restructure our organization after a decade of what we thought was working pretty well. That's actually when we initially came up with, you know, what we now call the five stages of overtime grief. Let's talk about those. Stage one is denial. Small business owners think, this couldn't possibly apply to me. How will I comply with these regulations and still remain profitable? Then they move on to stage two, which is anger. I'm doing my absolute best for my employees right now, and everyone is happy. Why is this happening? Stage three is bargaining. I'm sure we can work this out. Maybe I can give pay hikes to put workers above the threshold rather than reclassifying the workers to hourly. Then you move on to stage four, depression. I've analyzed costs and I just don't think we can manage. But if we don't comply, the penalties are steep. Not only that, how do I maintain a positive company culture when compensation and benefits are bound to be affected? Stage five ultimately is acceptance. We can do this, but we're going to have to do it together. And eventually, we made it to stage five. And through the process, we learned that our organization had a lot of room to improve. Even though the Obama era rule wasn't finalized, we actually kept the changes we made. Your organization might be in a similar situation. To come to terms with the new rules and begin proactively making decisions, businesses need to be systematic about their approach. Look at your actual numbers. Take an honest look at the salaries of your employees and evaluate the actual amount of hours each employee is working week to week. By getting a read on the current state of work and overtime hours, proper decisions can be made on how to adopt the new rules. If you have employees affected by this and you haven't done anything yet, don't panic. Well, maybe panic a little bit. You need to be compliant today. But instead of freaking out, take action today. A good first step is to make sure you have a reliable tool to track time and attendance. It doesn't need to be a punch card. There are lots of online tools available that are designed to track time and attendance. Bernie Portal, for example, is one of them. Uh, We have a time and attendance tracking feature, which I use, which allows us to digitally track our employees' hours and reduce the possibility of error and increase accuracy in timesheets. It features online and mobile tracking, streamlined time edits, and detailed reporting Now, if you'd like to know more, check us out at bernieportal.com. It's not the only system, but it's one that I use and it works. So if you don't already have a reliable time and attendance system in place to track employee hours, make sure you get one. Avoid just having employees clock their hours in a spreadsheet. Look, this gets too easy to become inaccurate. The idea here is to get a good system in place that removes ambiguity around when employees are working and when they aren't. This will also reduce resentment among team members who are more honest about their time tracking and those who perhaps aren't. It will also reduce issues like time theft. We have a great resource on stopping time theft. You can check out in the description or the notes. Next, make compensation adjustments now. Don't hesitate on tough decisions. Once you've analyzed workers' pay and time statistics, make a call as soon as possible on which compliance method to take for each employee. Now, I'm not a labor and employment attorney, and I advise as you make these decisions to consult one to make sure you get it right but I can speak at a high level about some of the paths that other employers have taken. Some business owners choose to increase salaries to meet the minimum threshold. Some go ahead and pay overtime to those now eligible to receive the pay rate. And others sometimes just make a reduction in base salary to adjust for the overtime changes. Again, I'm not a labor and employment attorney, so make sure you talk to one. And then outline the enforcement rules. A good deal of resistance to the new regulations stems from the enforcement concerns associated with overtime standards. In order to stay within the boundaries, set up specific protocols for employees working overtime, such as whether it's allowed, whether it's not, who's limited to core hours. While these changes may be tough, the legal issues that could arise from lack of adoption could be more damaging to a small business. Then communicate with your staff. Wherever there's confusion, there's usually a lack of communication. Once you've analyzed your numbers and figured out how you're going to comply as a company, hold a meeting with your employees to communicate, A, what the new regulations mean for your business, B, how you're going to comply with the regulations, and C, how the new new policies will affect employees on an individual basis. Provide clarity wherever you can. Encourage questions and reassure your employees that you're committed to them as individuals and to upholding the company culture you've worked to foster. And the truth is, There are benefits to moving staff from exempt to non-exempt. This might initially feel like a hard sell, but non-exempt team members have the ability to manage their own hours and earn more money in high demand periods. Our business has a lot of seasonality. During the busiest time of year, our customers need some of our people to work more than 40 hours per week. Obviously, it's better for our team members to get paid overtime when that happens, which they wouldn't get if they were exempt. It's also better for our managers, given that their teams are a lot happier during these critical times of year because they're making more money. For example, people are less likely to quit before the busy season if they see it as a time when they're going to make a lot of extra money versus it just being a time where they're gonna work a lot more with no immediate financial return. This dynamic makes it easier for managers to plan and staff appropriately for our busiest time of year. While the idea of change might be daunting, It can actually create across the board wins for your team and your business. And it turns out a lot of team members end up preferring Gmail to Outlook. Thanks for tuning in to HR Party of One. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next week as we tackle our next HR topic. And if you have a request for a topic, please email us at hrpartyofone at bernardhealth.com. That's hrpartyofone at bernardhealth.com. For more on how you can streamline your HR operations, please visit us at bernieportal.com. I'm Ryan McCoslin, and thanks for making this HR Party of One a little less lonely. Until next time, be kind, be smart, and be compliant.